Welcome to the Indie Pub, a laid-back interview show dedicated to the world of self and indie publishing. I'm your host, Jay Rushing, author of the self-published fantasy noir novel Radio, and a beverage buff with a passion for deep dives and good times. Every two weeks, a guest will step into the pub with a publishing-related topic and a favorite drink for us to explore and enjoy. Whether you want to sharpen your craft, snag a new cocktail recipe, or just have a laugh, there's always a seat and a full glass waiting for you at the Indie Pub. Welcome to the Indie Pub. Today we have Will Munn and Drew Gherkin, two of the creators of the Indie Tabletop RPG Arium, along with Natasha Entz, who couldn't be here with us today. They're here with us to talk about Arium and what it took to build it from an idea to the Kickstarter success that it is. But before we dive in, tell us a little bit about what we're drinking in the pub today. Ah, that's a great question, Jim. Uh, I have in front of me here a really kind of earthy, tasty uh, rooibos chai tea with oat milk. Let's talk about Arium. And um, just just as a baseline, can you give us a bit of an overview of, of what exactly Arium is? Yeah. Uh, so Arium is an a role-playing game, a tabletop role-playing game uh, that, you know, it's... I guess, how do you describe that? It's like Dungeons and Dragons. That's the that's the example that people know, right? Yeah. So it's like Dungeons and Dragons. A bunch of people get together around a table together, usually, unless it's the world that we live in today. And in that case, you get around uh, a Zoom channel together, right? Or something like that. And uh, you have dice and you have paper and you have pencils or pens or whatever your preference is. And you, uh, you know, create uh, a story together with characters and and things like that it's kind of funny because i played role-playing games for a long time when i was a kid and when i was in college and then i didn't for a long time until i started looking to get into writing novels and then i found that tons and tons of authors play role-playing games and i was like wow it would be great to get back into that and i did and then you know at a certain point started actually writing for them so I'm very, very, very green when it comes to tabletop RPGs. Um, if you need someone to build the longest road in Catan, I am your guy. I can do that. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I've, I've played D&D maybe three times ever. Um, and I know Arium isn't D&D, but could you explain to a newbie like me some of the ways Arium differs from other tabletop RPGs? Uh, you want to start? You want to take that, Drew? Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I think that uh, one of the easiest things to say is that Arium is a very rules-light, narrative-focused tabletop role-playing game. Um, the emphasis around the entire game is to create an amazing world and tell an awesome story within that. Um, and while that's totally possible in Dungeons and & Dragons, and, and people do it every single day, there is a much larger focus on... Uh, combat rules and and those sorts of things in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, not that you can't have combat in Arium; it's just handled completely differently. Um, you know, D and D has so many supplemental books uh, from the base game, and most of those books contain rules for um, how to make your character's class stronger, the different abilities and powers that they gain. And the vast majority of those are focused around combat situations, um, which is is awesome for people who love to, you know, maybe rack up minis on a table and roll handfuls of dice and slay the monster and and, and all of that. Um, 
Arium is more focused on the story aspect, and while combat can be a part of it or conflict resolution can be a part of it, um, it's sort of just done with a quick shake of the dice and something cool that your character is able to do, and then you move on with the story. Um, so I would say that's that's a pretty big differentiator, at least in my mind. So would you say that the story is is kind of filling in for a lot of that combat, or is it just taking it in a completely different direction? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's that's up to the group, right? And and gotcha. and every group is is pretty different. My my old D and D group that I played, um, sort of like Will, I played when I was young through my my adolescent years and my early teenage years, and I left it and I came back and started playing with a group of guys that I was bouncing at a bar with. And so it was uh, nice. like at that point, it was uh, it was fun to have combat, but we had a really narrative focused campaign. And and really, there are some groups that that love telling an awesome story, even in Dungeons and Dragons or any of the other thousands of role playing game systems out there. Um, but there are some groups that really just want to roll handfuls of dice and see the numbers and kill the baddie and gain the loot. And, and that's what satisfies them. And, and that's just as valid as someone who's looking to tell like a character or narrative driven story. Now, I know that creation is a big ticket item with Arium. I, I know that that's a, you know, one of its major selling points. Can you talk a little bit about the extra freedom that Arium provides people in, in the realm of creation? Yeah. Um, Arium is by default, uh, a game with with very streamlined and slick elements for building a world together as a group. Um, there are plenty of games out there that do this. Uh, n- not nearly as many as there are games that are more like D&D, I think. But, but there are quite a few games out there that do this. And most of them focus on individuals' contributions, right? So you come into a game and somebody's going to say... All right, tell us what, you know, your understanding of this world is. Tell us about this location, right? And then one person will give their view on that location, and then that becomes part of the canon for the world, for the story, right? Arium's approach is much more um, democratic, I guess, is probably a way to put it, uh, where everybody is coming up with ideas together, right? A whole lot of ideas, and they don't all become part of canon for the world, for the story. It depends on people to make those decisions. So there's some conversations and back and forth, right? You you do some combination of things. We'll probably talk about that more later. Um, but eventually, people are going to vote, and then the top ideas make it in. And the beautiful thing about that is it keeps that process simple. It doesn't put all the weight on one person to figure out what makes that creation great. And everybody tends to like what comes out of it a lot. Nice. Now, is is that creative aspect of it? Is it is it similar to D and D in that it's you kind of create and then play, or is the creation a part of the play? Um, it's a little bit of both. I think. A little both. Okay. Yeah, but we do have a very strong. So you have kind of a session zero type of thing, or or something like that. Where so Arium is two books right now. We have one called Arium Create and one called Arium Discover, and Create is all about building the world together and discover is all about playing in the world. All right. So many of my listeners are going to have at least some idea of the way that books uh, get published, whether traditional or by self or indie means. Um, But I highly doubt that many people have an in to the world of indie publishing a TTRPG. So could you kind of walk us through those steps and stages? 
Um, yeah, I think that I think that's a pretty interesting process, uh, and there are different ways to approach it. Um, but we chose the crowdfunding method, right, as kind of our our way to get funds in order to to create a game and to publish it. I think um, there's a little bit higher expense, generally speaking, to create an indie TTRPG than there is a, a novel because you have to have quite a bit more art. Art is yeah, a pretty integral sense. part of yeah, of most uh, role-playing games, and so, so we have quite a bit of art, and then the layout is is more complex, right, than than a than a novel. End to end, I'd say you have to have a concept, you have to put that concept in front of people and try it out, and see you know how it works and if people enjoy it and what you want to change, right? Play test, and then once you have a fairly solid thing, then I guess you go out and you look for art and you look for some other things that could be um, beneficial. I would suggest going out and doing actual play uh, games and streaming them on the internet or, you know, recording in advance and publishing them either way um, so that people can start to see it right before you launch a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and then you prep a crowdfunding campaign, which, you know, that's, that's no small step, but uh, you do that and then um, hopefully get it get it out to enough people to raise enough money to make the rest of the book. That's kind of it. And then after that, you know, you've got to go through editing. You've got to go through all the components that you would go through for a normal uh, indie publishing, right? You've, mm-hmm. you've got to do layout. You've got to do printing. You have to source a, source a printer and then, you know, fulfillment at that point. And that's where we are right now. We actually fulfilled all of our physical um books just last week oh congrats that's a that's a that's a big feat so so how was how was arian born like what, what's the what's its origin story i want drew to tell that <laughs> um well i think it's really important to note that uh um arian pulls some of its methodology for the arian create session from um sort of like agile lean method methodology for project planning and, the, and that sort of stuff for, for yeah. uh, for people who might not know is that planning methodology for games or is that does that come from the professional world yeah, that's from the that's actually from from the corporate world. It's it's a practice that that Will um, uses a lot with his teams in the corporate world, and and so um, really in running some of these meetings or being in meetings that Will ran, um, where you're putting post-it notes all over a whiteboard or a wall, and you're voting on things that should have the highest priority that you should focus your attention on in the workplace, um, we had a small writing group um, at work that we we would meet after hours and, and that sort of thing and get together. And um, one night I just said, man, what if we just sort of tried a writing prompt where we do this sort of methodology and create a world together and then we can all write a short story or two within that. Whatever we create, we'll kind of write it. And so we sat idea. down and we just started talked about like, well, what were the things we would need? Well, we would need to know, you know, what sort of setting or genre it is. We need to know, um, you know, is there magic? Is there not? What kind of cultures? All of that. And we just kind of came up with a loose framework. And then we went round by round and started with the broadest of strokes and, and got a little bit more. Um, a little bit more granular every step of the way. And then we had this really cool world and we went and we wrote short stories in there and kind of brought them back and shared them with people. 
Um, and that was sort of the, like where the idea started. Um, fast forward many months, um, and I had a after work D and D game going on, and uh, the group sort of got the not sort of the group got bored with the world that I've been creating for about 15 years in my D&D <laughs> dungeon master experience they just all of the really amazing things that exist in my mind did not translate and the interest <laughs> level wasn't there and that's the story of of countless dungeon masters and game masters that live in the TTRPG space right is that um usually like will mention to uh, like like he alluded to earlier usually the dungeon master creates the world and the ideas unless you're using like you know published supplemental work like dungeons and dragons has forgotten realms and and all of these different worlds that they write and publish the books and that takes the create the creative process like that alleviates that for people who don't want to go through that but a lot of dungeon masters get into DMing because they want to create the world in which the, the story is being told. So my world had finally fallen flat. My group was like, all right, we're done. We want to do something different. And I said, okay, we, I had this really cool writing prompt thing that we did with our writers group. I wonder if I could do the same sort of thing and we could create a world to play D and D in together. And we did, and it was this like ruined land where um, nature had started to fight back, and 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 portals to the Fey realm were opening, and nice. and really like the the Raven Queen was coming back to reclaim her land that that civilization had started to ruin, and it was just a really awesome setting. Um, and for as tropey as it may be, and for you know the things that were not fully filled in. Every single player at the table loved it, and as soon as we got done going through this process, they wanted to play right then and there. We didn't have characters made, and they're like, screw it, we'll create character sheets later. We just want to start telling the story. And that was sort of the light bulb moment for me, anyways, in which I then handed it off to Will and told him about it. And that is really sort of, I think, when Will's engine started to to rev up a little bit and start thinking about this as not a writing prompt, but an actual a, an actual product that people could use and love. How much gameplay went on before you made the final decision to to move forward with making this as an actual product? Um, there was some. So some of these, you know, like Drew mentioned, right, we had some of these exercises where we built worlds or, um, uh, you know, and, and we also took it on the road to some conventions, right, and said, oh, hey, you know, let's let's just go let's just go run a session where we'll build world with whoever's whoever comes to the panel or whatever. Right. And so we did that. Um, and and that was, you know, after a couple of those times and and you know drew's experience running it for his or, or you know an early version of it i guess for his group mm -hmm. right um we yeah i think that's when kind of the light came on that that it was something that we wanted to do um then at that point it was like okay well what do you need to to have in order to make this into a game right because there's a difference between you know a game and you know just a fun thing you can do with your friends sometimes right yeah um, and so, yeah, we had to figure out how to, how to add that aspect to it and make it, you know, balanced enough so that, you know, if, if there are people in the group that don't agree on how to go about it, that, that they can, you know, get along together and figure out how to work together. Um, 
So, yeah, and guidance for, you know, whoever's going to facilitate and all those types of things. But the other part of it was if it was going to be something, if it was going to be a game, then it needed to have rules for role playing. Right. It needed to have its own rules for role playing. Um, Otherwise, it's not really a complete game. At least it didn't feel like it to me. Um, And so, uh, you know, we started looking at some different um, games that existed that had like a world building component, like we played microscope and, and we played some other, um, you know, some fate and some different games like that, that have some of that aspect. Um, and found that we really did, I think have a niche, right? Something that someone hadn't already done. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then we needed those rules to kind of go with it to help the role playing aspect. And that's where Natasha actually came in. Um, so, she had come to one of those early uh, events at um, at a convention, right? And helped build the world for that. And and I think she and Drew were there promoting a podcast that they were that they were kicking off at the time. Oh, nice. Um, and so they knew each other, and and we chatted a little bit afterwards. And uh, and she had like I chatted with her, you know, offline later on, and she had this set of rules that she had been developing for i don't know if i want to i probably shouldn't spoil whatever it is in case she wants to still do this at some point but (laughs) but she has a really cool idea for an rpg that she hasn't made uh and she had these rules and they just kind of mapped perfectly onto what i was envisioning for arium which wasn't its name at the time but you know um and yeah it kind of was all kismet all right, well, let's get back to our tea real quickly. Um, and let, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking, talk about the taste, the smells, um, you know, the specific notes that we're picking up, things like that. Mm. Um, so, uh, Will, why don't you start? What what brand of tea? What, what's your tea called? Yeah, so mine is Harney and Sons. Uh, okay. I think they're out of the Pacific Northwest here in the States. Okay. Um, and they do um, – so they do loose leaf uh, teas, but they also do um, like uh, like a really fine silk netting type of uh, bag with the loose leaf just in it, mm-hmm. and it's 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 really nice. Like it's very very nice. Uh, the flavors are always they never feel stale or anything like that. Um, and and so I I love their I have several different teas of theirs actually, but and I buy it in bulk, uh, but. Yeah, this one is really it's got, you know, sort of that nice earthy taste that you expect, I think, if you've if you've had this kind of tea before. And I love chai, right? I since the first time I had a chai tea at an Indian restaurant ages ago, um it just mm, the those those spices and flavors yeah. just mix really well. Um the only thing I would wish for this drink is that instead of using, you know, like a a lower fat oat milk that I could just use whole freaking cream in it. But my doctor <laughs> says I'm not supposed to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> what are, so is it, is it, um, you know, speaking of some of those spices, what, what are some of the key spices in the blend you have? That is a good question. I believe there's actually saffron in this blend. Oh, okay. Um, and then, uh, but not a lot of citrus. So it's mostly like, there isn't any citrus. I don't think in this one, I tried the one that you recommended to me and I noted some citrus in there yeah some other things but there's no citrus in this one it's all um like powdered spices that you'd probably get from you know from uh asia right okay 
Yeah. Oh, you were able to find the one that I'm drinking over there in the States. I did, yeah. I have oh, that great. one, too. Yeah, I tried it the other day. It's really good. Cool. I, I thought it was only uh, the, the, the German area of the world, well, so that's great was, to hear. It wasn't easy to get, but I did get some, yeah. My brother's a tea guy. I'll have to tell him he can he can actually find it. All right, Drew, how about you? What, what are you drinking? Yeah, um, well, I'm still uh, – I'm here on the, the rooibos train as well, um, but I, I I went left where you went right with your chai. So um, – and forgive me because I'm not – Yours. the biggest of Thai guy uh, of tea guys and so um i had this um i got this really cool sample pack of tea from a company called august or august i don't know how they actually pronounce it but their whole thing is is creating uncommon tea so they take all these different types of tea and they make these really cool uh flavor profiles these really exotic flavor profiles and so the one that i'm drinking is called biarritz um, and it is a velvety rooibos with amaretto and orange blossom. Um, and so I am a huge amaretto fan, um, and I can go either way. I can go amaretto and orange or amaretto and cherry. Either way, I'm just like, I just love the flavor. Um, so, uh, you know, this is, there's South African rooibos. There's anise and almond, lemon peel, orange blossom, star anise, a little bit of, like flavoring and sugar in there just to sweeten it up a little bit. Um, but it is, it's pretty fantastic. That does, so that does sounds... it have just a little bit of a licorice flavor to it then? Yeah, there is. There's just a little, just a little underpinning of licorice from the, from the um, star anise in there. So it's, it's, nice. it's, it's pretty nice and it's really mellow. It's not overpowering. And um, it's definitely like, they say it's velvety and that's exactly what it feels like when you're drinking it. So it's fantastic. That sounds amazing. They, I, I, I'm with you on not being a huge tea person and it's, I feel like it's one of the most disappointing aspects of my life because here is a world <laughs> filled with just thousands upon thousands of flavors. And I strike out so often every once in a while, like, like this one that I'll, I'll describe in a sec is, is fantastic. And then there's a, there's a brand, I think they're either British or Australian, but it's called T2, like the letter T and 2. Um, and they have one, oddly enough, New York again, but it's called New York Breakfast. So it's like an English breakfast, but it tastes like pancakes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they do it because it doesn't have any funkiness in it. It's all just done with spices and tea, but it is fantastic. And so I, I know that's buried somewhere out there are teas that I love. It's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a hard time well, finding them. Well, the one I have is um, Tea Kana's New York Chai. Um, tea Kana is a pretty common tea brand we have over here. Um, this one specifically is a honey lemon variety, and it's just everything you'd expect. Um, one thing I find with ro- rooibos, I, I have such a hard time pronouncing that, uh, is a uh, it has enough vanilla taste on its own. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes they'll add more to it and it feels like it just wrecks it. And this one, the vanilla comes through really, really well, but they haven't added any. And I really appreciate that. All right, it let's get back really to good. let's get back to Arium. What about the process, whether it be the the creation of it or the producing of it, the distribution of it, what was one or more of the most surprising aspects of that journey? My favorite part of this entire process has been Will and I and a couple people sitting around going, this is a cool idea. This is fun. Like, 
we could push this further and then doing it and have like I'm not exaggerating when I say that every of the countless play tests we've run, everyone has left amazed by what they've created and dying to tell stories and play games in that world. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just proof positive. And I get a little emotional about it, to be completely honest, because we knew we had something. We just didn't know really what it was until we started putting it in front of people. Um, and I, I just like, yeah, we get feedback like, hey, you should tweak this or this part doesn't really make a ton of sense. And we've done that. We've tweaked it and all of that. But nobody's left going. This world sucks. I hate what we created. I'm never everyone has just wanted to stop playtesting and start playing. Right. Which is, I think, probably the highest compliment we could get. Um, the other thing that I'm just going to call out as part of this collaborative spirit, this world building thing, this group oriented, everybody has a voice, everybody has input, was honestly the nights that Will and Natasha and I were sitting around tables, brainstorming rules, brainstorming the name of the game. We came up with Arium through the exact same process that Arium nice. uses to create worlds. We oh, put out a bunch of ideas. We voted on it, and Arium is the one that won out. And and so I just love that the system we've built was using the same rules in which this of the of the system that we created. I don't know if that makes perfect sense, but it's just it's a pretty cool engine that we have going here. Uh, you know, and and as a bystander who's who's gotten to kind of watch th this whole thing progress, that's something I noticed. You know, in the beginning, it's like, oh man, somebody somebody reviewed it, or someone's got something to say about it. Let me go read it. It's like, oh wow, that was a fantastic review. And then after a while, it got to the point where I was just like, okay, how what kind of fantastic review are they going to get this time? <laughs> it has seemed so positive over and over again. It's been absolutely great. Yeah, I I would say that's definitely a. a something that caught me by surprise and it did for quite a while right we'd go and and take it to somebody else and i'm like boy i hope they like it really hope they like it and you know he's right they they did right and and it quit it's still it's still thrilling though right when somebody says oh, you know here's the thing that you build and we love it yeah. right it's still yeah. thrilling it never stops being thrilling i at least i hope it doesn't maybe maybe work becomes less fun if that's the case but um one of the things that for me uh, was harder than I thought it would be, um, and you know, this is probably just my ignorance showing through, right? As a as a new uh, indie publisher of role playing games, um, I took on the responsibility of art direction for this game, and that was really challenging, um, especially in the beginning, because. I had no idea where to look, how to contact artists, how to find people, right? How to get something that, like our covers, for example, right? And and this is this is probably the hardest part. We went through so many different iterations on how to do a cover for this game, right? Because it's it's not genre specific, really, yeah. right? It's it's very open, and it can be anything. It can be anything that somebody can imagine. Right. It's not tied to fantasy. It's not tied to, you know, science fiction or, you know, post-apocalyptic or anything. Right. And so I, I just kept looking. I just kept looking and looking and trying to find, you know, something or or to, you know, have an idea 
But how do you represent possibility, right? How do you represent yeah. possibility? <laughs> that's a on great a cover? question. And that's a very difficult question to answer. And yeah, and I think some games have done that by saying, well, we're going to have basically a really blank cover with a cool logo, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that works, right? But we wanted something. We wanted something with art, right? And and this is what we ended up with, right? Eventually. And I don't know if hopefully we'll be able to folks will be able to see the cover, but um, they they turned out really well. And man, I'm glad we went through the fight. I think to get there, um, but but yeah, it was it was surprisingly difficult. Did you have one artist you worked with or a whole bunch? So we have one artist for the cover. Um, so we have so there are actually three covers for for this game um, because eventually there'll be a third book. Okay. But right now there's only two books, and so we have two covers. Um, and they're all it's actually one continuous piece of art. So the the books, if you lay them out next to each other, they can be like a triptych, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we worked with one artist for that, uh, Andreas Rocha, and I'm probably butchering his name. He's Portuguese, lives in Lisbon, um, and he's phenomenal. Uh, really love the, the art that he put together for this. Um, and then the interior art uh, is all by uh, an a Southeast Asian artist named Titi Luadathong, which I'm probably also mispronouncing horribly, um, which is uh, all very, very beautiful. Um, and most of it is actually uh, stock art, um, which we, you know, we paid for, obviously. But um, but it it's, uh, yeah, it's that. But there was a really consistent theme among uh, this artist's work that we really liked and stuck with uh, throughout all the books for the interiors. Nice. Um, and we feel like it, it helps players to, to see, you know, sort of that, get that sense of possibility. Nice. Have that kind of consistent yeah. through thread. So what then would you have done differently? Cause there has to be, there has to be something. This is such a huge project. Um, I'll head it first. If you've got something to add to Drew, uh, um, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> but um, from my standpoint, I think, uh, I mean, there's always things you can do better or differently, right? Um, but one thing for me that, that was really difficult is that I, we kind of got the inspiration for this project when I had already committed to do another project previously. Um, and so we had like kind of a big hiatus in the middle where I wasn't doing very much on this project as I was very focused on. And it's, I'll just say it's Zorro, the role-playing game by Gallant Knight Games, which is a fantastic game, by the way. Um, and not because I worked on it, but because <laughs> all the people who did work on it did a really, really great job. Um, and it's beautiful. And, and if you like Zorro, uh, it's, mm. It's awesome. But that was a big project. And that's like a, you know, it's done like a triple A role playing game, right? It's a beautiful hardcover book, full cover, 200 pages, right? I mean, it's, it's big. This was a big, big project. Um, probably the yeah, it's definitely the biggest one I've ever worked on. Um, and so while that was was going on, I was kind of sidelining anything to do with Arium and, and it was taking a backseat for the most part for me anyway. Um, but I will say this, that the experience taught me a lot that then did become really valuable, um, in producing the final, 
version of Arium. Drew? Yeah, I've been racking my brain here a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, but I think that, you know, this is like, it, it's a learning and growing process. And I think it's just as much on the personal side as it is the professional and the creative side as well. Um, and, and you know, one thing that I am, that I've been guilty of many times in my life is falling in love with an idea um, and then not wanting that to change in any way, shape or form. Um, and so I would just say that, especially at the very beginning when we were like really ramping up and thinking that this was an awesome idea, it was, um, you know, it's the old kill your darling sort of thing. Yeah. Like we went through so many different iterations of this, that, um, there were many, many times where frustrations and that sort of thing mounted with me because it was not the original thing that we had come up with and it was changing and, and all of that. And, um, and you know, if I'm being a hundred percent candid, like Natasha coming into the mix, um, and adding the rules set of things to, for what is now Arium discover the, the actual mechanical system to play the game and, and all of that. Um, I was like, this is mine and Will's baby. I don't want anybody else involved. <laughs> um, and that's just that's just my hard headedness and my stubbornness and my ability, my inability to um, let other people in to allow something to grow. Um, and in hindsight, it was stupid. Arium is a thousand times better game than it was when it started. And that's because of Natasha. And that's because of the three of us letting everybody who play tested it in to give feedback and listen and make tweaks and, and, and uh, dare I say, let it evolve. So, um, so that was a big growing, that was a big growing process for me. And I definitely came out much, much better for it on the other side of the project for sure. It's really interesting hearing a lot of this just because, you know, part of the reason why I have you guys on today is just it's so, so many of the, the the kind of parallel ways of doing things that come into play from writing or game creation. And it really boils down to project creation, you know, whether it's you're, whether you're painting a painting or writing a book or creating a tabletop RPG. It's so many of the same thing. Killing your darlings. Right. Like you mm -hmm. mentioned that so many of the same struggles and, and tasks that you have before you are the same, regardless of what the project is. So with Arium, do you have to be a previous TTRPG player or at least have a bit of a background in that to, to be able to jump in efficiently? Or is, is this the type of game that anybody can just stroll in and hit the ground running? I think the role-playing aspect of it, it could be beneficial to have somebody with you who's done role-playing before. Gotcha. But the world-building part, I think anybody could just pick that up and do it, right? It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have any special talent or anything like that. Um, and we have videos of, you know, of people playing and, and going through those processes online. And so you can go look at those on, you know, the Adept Icarus YouTube site or, you know, um, there are a lot of other ones out there as well. But where people can see folks actually playing and and see how it works for them. So I, I think for the most part, yeah, anybody could probably pick it up. It's not written for someone who's an expert. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes sense. You've done a ton of, of playtesting, and, and you've obviously played this a million times. What are some of your favorite incarnations that have come up? What are, what are some of the best worlds you've gotten to explore with the game? I think my favorite one is always the most recent, uh, you know? 
I mean, <laughs> has, has they're, that, they're that all great. They're, yeah, yeah, they're all they're all great. I've never, you know, like Drew mentioned, right? We've played this with a lot of people, and people and folks always want to play it. They always enjoy what they created, and and that includes us, right? So we built a lot of worlds and and had a lot of sessions with tons and tons of people over the last couple of years, and have never, I've never had one that I disliked, right? I liked them all. Um, I think one, let's see, the one that we built as a community exercise um, as part of the Kickstarter, like we we decided that, you know, for promotional or whatever, we'd just say, hey, anybody who wants to join in, we'll build an Arium together and we'll do it um, disconnected, right? So we didn't actually like get on a Zoom call together. We didn't actually get you know, in a room together or anything like that. We had people like just posting ideas out to a to an online board where where we could go through them and going through that process. And we built this really neat um, world together where it's it's a planet and it's an amusement park. Nice. The entire planet is an amusement park, uh, minus like you know eighty acres or something, right? Like a square mile that's just green bucolic. Uh, landscape where, you know, Anne of Green Gables lives or something, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, but this, this planet-wide amusement park is, you know, full of adventure and opportunities because it, uh, behind the scenes, feeding off the emotions, the, the terror, the, the thrills, the fun is, you know, an eldritch entity, right? Mm. That, that is, you know, growing in power slowly over time. And there are, you know, um, the park maintenance people are running around and they're, you know, uh, probably cultists and you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff happening. So uh, that was really fun to create. And uh, we also decided to make a book out of it with some adventure seeds and, and like a full on like multi-page adventure and some fiction. And, and yeah, so we're going to, we're going to be publishing that pretty soon. Nice. And I love it. I think it's really fun. Drew did some writing for it that's just fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah. How about yeah, you, Drew? Do you, have, do you have any? Obviously, this world is, is a pretty great one. But do you have any others? Um, any any like you know space western cooking shows or <laughs> something yeah. really out there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there, there's a couple that come to mind, and it's like this. This is probably the hardest question to answer for me because every single idea has been unique. And has been really cool. And so one of my one of the ones that I want to play the most is actually a Arium create session I wasn't even involved in. Um, and basically the the tagline for it is Cyberpunk Vikings, right? And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm all oh, I, I want to play that game so bad. Oh, that's um, fantastic. But one of our actually this I think this was we did a play test. Um, Will, Natasha, myself, and some friends, we did a playtest, and this is the night that Arium got its name, because um, Will and Natasha and I, afterwards, we we sort of were going through the feedback and talking about things, and Will's like, all right, we got to put a name on this game. But we did one that, our, the tagline is basically uh, Alice in Wonderland Underwater. Um, mm-hmm. And so the world is like this complete trippy surreal thing that all happens in this aquatic world um where like i think the, if i remember correctly the world itself is like 
water, right? And everything happens below the surface instead of above the surface. And it was late. We were getting silly and we were totally <laughs> channeling our Lewis Carroll naming like the Jabberwock. And we just had these really like boisterous names and titles and just made up gibberish. And it was <laughs> it was a freaking blast, man. It was so, so much fun. Um, that one, I think probably stands out as like the most evocative in my mind just because of how surreal everything sort of came out um and and it was just it was a blast because we you know it's as part of the process everyone feeds off of each other and what that means is the end product is going to be different than what you start with um, in terms of tone and flavor a lot of times um, where you could have a group of diehard D&D players and they want to be playing in a fantasy world with dragons and sorcerers and all of that. And I promise you, it will be different than they intend by the time the process is done. Um, and this one started out a little bit serious. And then, uh, you know, I was just, you know, like when we're naming cultures and organizations and people in all these different stages, I just started making crap up, man. I was tired. I was loopy. And I just started making up the weirdest stuff you could think of. And the whole group just sort of fed on it. And it just... Um, and it wasn't just me, but I just remember like writing stuff down and cracking myself up for the gibberish <laughs> I was writing and it was getting voted through and then other people started doing it. So that's probably my favorite create session I've ever been in. So what advice would you give other people who are thinking about creating their own TTRPG from scratch? Um, I mean, I'd say don't be afraid of it, right? Uh, there are... There are a lot of different styles of TTRPGs, right? I think if you if someone looks at a game like Dungeons and Dragons and says, "Well, I can never make something like that," well, that's fine, right? Um, there's a whole team of people that work on Dungeons and Dragons, right? A very large team. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't create a way for people to have fun telling stories together, right? Yeah. And whether that involves, you know, maybe it could be almost primarily combat and, and maybe it's more like a board game, right, at that point. Or maybe, you know, I guess I would pick something to focus on, though, right? Yeah. What's the what's the catch, right? So either and I never actually expected to make and I'm going to use the word I will use the word because this is the time to use it. I don't <laughs> think I used it ever in any of our marketing or anywhere because I hate this word, but I never expected to make a generic role-playing game. That's what that's what Arium is, right? It's it's generic, but I mean, settingless, I guess. Uh, role-playing game is probably a, a better way to put it. Um, but I I mean, if you pick some sort of setting, I think that's an easier way to go, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can start to think about, you know what are the things that are important about this setting and how do I help evoke that during gameplay? Right. Um, and I've got other projects that, you know, have more that type of bent to them. Um, I think that's a, probably a better place to start. Another thing you can potentially do, um, is there are some open license, uh, game systems out there. Ah, right. Okay. And you can pick up an open license game system and, you know, meld it to the needs of your setting. Right. Gotcha. I think that's that's a good potential way to start. Another way to go, I'm going to do I'll do one more example and then I'll let Drew talk um, is you start very small. 
right? Make, you know, say I'm going to make a 200 word RPG or a one page RPG, right? Something like that. And that creative focus that that provides, I think helps a lot. And it's similar with writing, right? They, they yeah. tell you to start out writing, you know, short stories or flash or something like that, because it helps to focus you, right? Yeah. And you get rid of the things that aren't necessary. And I think that's a that's a really good way to start with writing role playing games as well. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I I'm not the expert here, right? I'm I'm I consider myself much more of a of a writer than a game designer. Um, I mean, really, Will and Natasha handled so much of the mechanical side of things and, and all of that. Um, it's not that I, I want to get in there and explore that space and, and push myself for sure. But I, I, I just consider myself sort of a writer that happens to write in the TTRPG world right now. <coughs> what I would say is, excuse me. Um, I would say one, find your hedgehog. Um, I'm throwing out all these business terms, right? So find your hedgehog. <laughs> like, what are you passionate about that you can do well and make money at? Um, and and I really think that the Arium's a, a perfect example of a hedgehog for me because I'm I love world building and I love that process and I love creating, I love creating a space where there's possibility um and and that you can just go and play around in and think up a character and think up a storyline and plug in some villains and and have a hell of a good time um so the world building thing is is just sort of the one of the things that i've kind of hung my hat on for a long time even in my fiction writing um the world in which I tell my stories is usually way more interesting than the story I'm trying to write. Right. <laughs> so I, uh, that's, that's why I'm writing for role-playing games and not, and not novels right now. Right. Just cause I'm still working on that part of it. Um, I would also just say like, um, well, one other thing I wanted to call out is play testing, right? Play mm -hmm. test, play test, play test, play test, play test. And then when you think you've got it, play test some more. Um, what I do see a lot with crowdfunded projects, um, and then there's, there's a big annual push for something called Zine Quest or Zine Quest, depending on how you pronounce it, which is all about these like little micro RPGs. There is a very, very obvious difference between someone who has a cool idea and puts it down on paper and throws it up to be crowdfunded versus someone who has put thought into the finished product and has sought feedback and input from others. Um, and, and the business side of me go, it just says like, it doesn't matter how cool your, you think your product is people in the market need to validate it. And then you need to put out a high quality thing, because if you put out junk that isn't play tested, it isn't, you haven't paid for an editor, you haven't, thought about the bells and whistles you're damaging your reputation and your credibility yeah, in the space point. right um yeah. so while i never had my neck on the line i just got to put words on paper for will <laughs> and it's will's name it's his reputation it's <laughs> it's adept icarus's thing i still thought about like are these words that i'm handing off to him something that i'm proud of that i would i want my name signed to and that i think would uphold will's intent for the quality of the product that he's publishing and so just anyone who's trying to start out just understand that rushing a product will probably have a greater negative impact on your future success than taking the time to do it well and correctly yeah 
Yeah, I think there's a there's there's a little bit of balance there for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have to say, you know, how good is good enough? Because uh, that's an important side of it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you know we could have noodled on it even longer than we did, but I think we came to a to a point where, you know, uh, and there were a lot of delays in getting this this project to Kickstarter. We wanted to have it at the point where we, when we got it to Kickstarter, that we could meet whatever commitment it was we made to get things to backers. Right. Mm-hmm. That was that was our goal. And so that run up time to preparing for the Kickstarter was far longer than the time between the Kickstarter and delivery. Right. Kickstarter and delivery is like four months. Yeah. Five. Five. Um, but before that. Right. There was there was a lot of work that went into it prior. About how long would you say that was? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you exclude the Zorro time, it's probably about a year. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas, it's last call here at the Indie Pub. Can you give an indie published game or two as a recommendation to our listeners? Well, I would recommend Microscope to people. I mean, I think it's a really neat, uh, take on world building for an RPG, uh, that's, that's really fun. Um, you're not so much building a world that... Uh, you turn around and role play in, I guess. I mean, sort of you are, but a little different um, in that you're more building a history of a world, right? Okay. And and that's, it's really fun. It's neat. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, let me, let me uh, go uh, into some of the zine quest stuff that uh, Drew mentioned. Um, there was a really... Uh, neat zine quest game that came out um, a couple couple years ago and had the opportunity to play it uh, at Halloween I think not this year but the year before um, called Mothership um, which is it's like a horror space sci-fi type of game um, and it's it's really beautiful it's a really good it's a really cool looking very compelling game um, and it, it's fun too. Um, and then third and final, cause I need one more. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll go to, uh, I'll go to tiny D six. So if you're looking for, uh, something in a particular setting, that's pretty simple, you could pick it up and play it in an hour at a con, right? You could, uh, introduce your children to role playing with it, which I have done, um, uh, Tiny D6 is a system created by Gallant Knight Games. Um, they have a lot of different settings. They have, you know, Tiny Dungeon, which is sort of like Dungeons and Dragons. They have Tiny Frontiers, which is space or sci-fi based. They have Tiny Wastelands, which is post-apocalyptic. They have Tiny Supers, which is, you know, comic book heroes, and and they're all really, really well done. Like the the art is great. The writing is fantastic. Um, and yeah, and the system is just nice and simple, right? But, but still allows you to, um, to like their supers game is honestly, I think my favorite of any supers RPG because you can make any kind of super with, with this game, like any kind you can imagine, right? But it's so, it's so easy. And I love that about it. To be honest, I collect more games than I play. Um, so I have a like I'm looking through here and I have this huge stack of of um, 
like Kickstarter RPGs and, and all of that. Um, this is an example. I, I know that most people aren't, or maybe nobody will see the video, but there is a uh, from uh, from Zine Quest, I think last year, there is a game called Artifact, and the whole game is about... Um, it's about a magic item. Like you create a magic item and you tell the story mm-hmm. of the item's history, how mm-hmm. it came into existence, its exploits, it's how well, it got its idea. powers. What and it's um, not only is the concept amazing because sentient, so, like sentient magic items are just cool as shit, anyways. <laughs> but um, the production quality on it is exactly what I'm talking about, and like. Knowing what your end goal is and how you want to present the game is just as important as getting the game published or in production, right? You got to know what your end product is, and it's really well done. It has like gold ink printing, and it's just like it feels like the game you're going to play. When you look at it, you're like, okay, it's you know, I mean, it's it's silk. I mean, it's printed, right? But it's it's layered printing, so there's blacks and grays and then there's gold overlay on top of it to accent it's just it's it's a beautiful piece of production from uh some guy in his house right and or some person i'm uh it's from a called mousehole press is is their publishing company so i think that that one is really cool i love the concept i love the production quality of it and i love i love everything about it um finally so i that one i almost mentioned that one like I yeah, have it. Artifact too. <laughs> is cool. Um, I would say that the um, the Great American Line by Christopher Gray is is another really thing. So he started with a game called the Great American Novel, um, and then recently put out the Great American Witch. And these are very like focused on sort of you know like classic literature based storytelling almost. Um, and, and I've played the great American witch a few times and it is an absolute blast. Um, and the reviews and everything that people that I've heard people talk about the great American novel is just how remarkable it is, but the great American, Witch I can specifically vouch for in being a fantastic game, well thought out, well, like very, very well designed. Um, and has some really cool, like new things that I haven't seen in a lot of other games. But again, I'm, I'm like a really narrative driven person, right? I'm all about the story and I'm all about the background. So th- these sorts of games will sort of resonate with me. All right, guys. So tell the listeners what you've got going both with Arium and with yourselves and where they can find you. So uh, again, my name is Drew Gherkin. You can find me as Word Drew W O R D R E W. Twitter, Instagrams. Um, my current projects are really sort of. I'm I'm now back in the beginning stages with a couple of game ideas that I have. Um, that I'm sort of. There's a really cool Kickstarter that happened for a cyberpunk game, and this group came out and pub- or kickstarted a game called Axon Punk, and it is cyberpunk where hip-hop is the main music versus like techno and, and heavy metal and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, it got my wheels turning of like, whoa, okay, um, there maybe there's a market for more uh, RPGs that have like a... Um, a hip hop flavor to it. So I'm actually working on the concept for uh, a game that will be 
driven by the powered by the apocalypse and engine. So as Will talks about where there's these open gaming licenses where you can use someone else's mechanicals and create your idea around it. That's the plan there where you get together as like a hip hop group and your and your your story arc is basically like hustling mixtapes on the street to getting your first deal to becoming a mogul right oh, in the nice. in in the empire so i'm that that's one i'm playing on uh that I, that i'm tinkering around with my my whiteboard back there is full of notes for it um but also i have dipped my toe in the waters of custom uh dice making and like resin casting and, and custom dice and so um be on the lookout for um Mythmaker dice in the near future when I start opening up my Instagram and stuff like that with with resin casted dice. Hopefully that'll end up panning out. Um, but you know, as I mentioned earlier, I really fancy myself as a collector of hobbies. So I just <laughs> these things sound cool, so I dive in and I try them, and some stick, and and some just cost me lots of money, and then live in a Tupperware box in my garage <laughs> for your rubber made box, you know, for, for years. So we'll see what happens, but, you know, just writing and, uh, um, obviously always noodling on the novel side of things, the fiction side of things, but also looking for opportunities to write for other games as well as a, as a freelancer or as a, you know, co-designer, co-writer, whatever. So, uh, as I think we mentioned, Adept Icarus is my publishing company. Uh, so you can find anything you want to know about what we're doing uh, at adeptikarus.com. Uh, follow Adept Icarus on Twitter. We have an Adept Icarus Facebook page, right? It's around. So if you search for that, you'll find us for sure. Um, also, if you want to follow random tweets about gaming and things like that, then you can follow my personal Twitter account, which is at WLMon. For any of our Kickstarter uh, backers who are listening, we are working on your books. Uh, so there are some stretch goals that we unlocked as part of the campaign, um, and those are in varying states of completion right now. Um, we met our initial goal to to kind of deliver um, physical books. We actually had a goal to, to deliver them by the end of February, but we were about a week into March, I think, by the time we got them all shipped because we added a little bit of extra stuff to discover. And I think it was worth an extra week's wait. Personally, I think it's worth way more than a week's wait. Some some really great um, tables and, and cool uh, toolkit stuff from Diogo Nogueira, which is amazing. So we're working on... Um, I mentioned it earlier, The uh, it's called Arcadia Planetary Amusement and Recreation Kingdom. I said all of that, and I didn't have to look it up, so that's that's a <laughs> win in my man. book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so it's just a, it's a little splat book. It's uh, system agnostic. I mean, it'll have some stuff in it that could be applied to Arium for sure, but it's you know you could you could run it with any RPG system if you wanted to. It's just a little a little setting book with some adventure stuff and hooks and things like that in it. Um, we also have uh, Arium Flash, which is like our big installment in Arium that we that we really kind of promoted as part of the Kickstarter. And this is a super cool book where we have all sorts of authors from all over the world who, you know, some of them are, you know, folks who've written for RPGs for ages. Some of them are, you know, uh, published authors. Um, one is a New York Times bestselling author. Um, and 
and then you know some people who probably you haven't heard of before that we wanted to give a shot uh, at writing some stuff in an RPG and getting published. That book, Arium Flash, is full of story seeds that are modular. They're kind of like Mad Libs, right? But they're built for uh, Ariums. And so as part of the world creation process for Arium Create, you come up with you know certain types of things that are elements of that world. And these story seeds have spots where you can slot those things in. Right. And they're all themed. So you have, you know, like we have neo-noir as an example. We have, you know, high fantasy. We have a Western. We have, you know, and there are five seeds of each of these types, basically. And the book is huge. It's actually our biggest book. It's going to be, I think it's going to be like 80, 90 pages. Um, It's yeah. And so it's just full of all these ideas for for story seeds that an Arium GM can just pick up and run with. Right. And so, you know, group builds a world. Maybe it's something that you're not that familiar with. Maybe you've never watched a noir movie. Right. And so you don't really know what the what the sense of that might look like. Well, pick up one of these seeds, plug in some items and you could be off and running with with the story with the group right away. And then you can go do your research before you play the next game, right? Um, so that one's coming very soon. That's that's actually top of the priority list. Um, then Arcadia. And then we also have a book called Arium Bridge, which um, is probably actually going to be three volumes. Uh, one for uh, what we're calling a bridge to 5e, which helps people convert Ariums to work with Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Uh, one called Bridge to Fate, which allows, you know, same thing for Fate RPG. And then the third one is Bridge to Tiny D6. As I mentioned, we love Tiny D6, and we want mm-hmm. uh, folks to be able to to take their Ariums and play them uh, with Tiny D6. So those are the three, uh, and I probably shouldn't talk about anything else, but I'm going to give you one more. Uh, which will be the next major project and we'll probably run a Kickstarter for it too, uh, which is Arium Evolve, uh, which is just a really neat book that's full of all kinds of ideas, how to, you know, change the world, change your characters, change the rules and everything of an Arium game um, and and really kind of customize it to however you want it to be. And so we're we're pretty excited about that, and we already have the cover for it, obviously. So, yeah, that's that'll be next, maybe later this year. We'll run a Kickstarter for that. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Indie Pub. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a like and subscribe so you won't miss any of our indie investigations or boozy banter. I've been your host, Jay Rushing, and we'll see you back in the pub next time.